Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. And I'm Melissa and I serve with our Tri-Village campus. So Michael, the last couple weeks I've heard announcements about all these great ways to serve on a Sunday morning with our front door ministry team or our kids life or production. Neighborhood, neighborhood Bible Club. Yes, yes. But I haven't heard about Puente. Can you tell me about their summer program? Yeah, the Puente summer program, it builds on the relationships we have with under-resourced families in our communities through our after-school programs and case management. With the summer program, we're able to help students elementary through high school and provide a safe place for them to get ahead in school, learn new skills, and have a lot of fun. I love that. I heard something about making soap. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, so this is one of my favorite things about Puente Summer Program. High school students are able to be a part of this business incubator where they work with business owners within our church to develop their own business. So they do the logo, the marketing, the sales, they make soap, and then they sell it. No it's way. really, really cool. I love that. It's not for every student, but it's something that the high school students have really enjoyed. That's amazing. That's so cool. So if you wanna learn more about the summer program at Puente or find out how you can be involved and invest in the next generation through this, you can either stop by the atrium today or go to wheatonbible.org volunteer to connect with a leader or learn more and just jump right in. So you can also get details on other serve opportunities through the web as well. Yeah, that's great. One other thing I wanna tell you about today is we're having an all church worship night led by our traditional worship team. It's happening at our West Chicago campus tonight at six o'clock. So if you wanna get more details or register, you can go to wheatonbible.org slash events. Yes, oh, it's gonna be great. I will be there. So that's all for today. Thank you for sharing part of your morning with us and we hope you have a great week. Well, good morning, and I will add my invitation to come back tonight for a worship night. We're going to use our orchestra and our choir for the first time since COVID. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yes, and for those of you who are worshiping with us from home, make sure you get on. It'll be live streamed at 6 o'clock, or you can watch the recording later, but it'll be special to be in person. So today we echo what Moses and the Israelites sang in Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Let's stand. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. I will praise him, he is exalted for David, praise God. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you, 
You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise his name. He is the
please be seated. Let's pray together. Most merciful God, you are great and you are exalted. Far beyond what we can think or imagine is where you exist. And yet we confess that we are in bondage to sin and we cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Amen. The pastoral staff has been reading a book called Gentle and Lowly, and this book is about Jesus' heart for his people. We've been dwelling and really enjoying that. And this next song helps us to focus on God's heart for us. So let's stand. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. No one else can be my shield. I should come to him. For the Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus, Jesus strong and kind. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to Him. No one else can satisfy, I should come to Him. Jesus said that I am weak, I should come to Him. No
Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day where the church throughout history has celebrated the account I just read. Fifty days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God was permanently given to each and every believer. Praise the Lord. So today we remember and celebrate the Comforter, the Advocate, the Sanctifier, the Keeper, the Seal, and the guarantee of our eternal salvation and inheritance. The one who is the power of God working in us and empowering us to be the witnesses of the good news of the gospel to the world until Jesus comes again. Let's stand once more and ask the Spirit to continue its work in us.
Well, good morning, church family. My name is Mike Herrera. I work with our junior high students here at the West Chicago campus. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here at Wheaton Bible Church, we believe in the baptism of believers, and that is to say, for those who have already uh, believed the good news of the gospel and put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their life, we also believe that the scriptures speak to the fact that baptism is not for salvation, nor does it have anything um, to do with or contribute to our salvation, but it's an act of joyful obedience to the Lord. It is an outward expression of a reality that we have been regenerated in our hearts and minds because of Jesus. It's also a symbol of uh, his death, burial, and resurrection and our identifying with that. So as a church family, today is a day to celebrate. We have the joy and privilege of baptizing our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd like to introduce you to Pearson Foos. Pearson, go ahead and come on up. So Pearson, um, it has been a joy to get to know you the last two years in junior high ministry. Um, for those of you who don't know Pearson, he is one of the, I think, deepest thinkers I have in junior high. He's the type of guy who loves to ask questions and wrestle with his faith and really figure out what he believes for himself. And, and that's something that we all take joy in as a church family. And so this morning, um, I just want to ask you, Pearson, is it your testimony that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in life? Yes. Awesome. Well, because of that testimony, it is my privilege and joy, along with your fathers, to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'd like to introduce you to Aaron Dinert. Um, Aaron, it's been a joy to get to know you over the last month or so in this process. Aaron, is it your testimony that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Because of that testimony, it is my joy and privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before I pray, if any of you would like to join your brothers and sisters in taking the step of obedience to Jesus Christ, I would encourage you um, to get baptized, to, to look into that process. The next baptism will be on July 25th. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the testimony of those today who have said, I am a follower of Jesus. And I pray that for all of us today, that we, like them, would live that out in our lives, that we would take the steps to follow you and, and to, to not shy away from that in life. Lord, I pray that this morning as we continue to worship, that it would be pleasing to you and that we might honor you 
with our praise and teaching. Amen. Good morning. I've forgotten what a good-looking congregation we have. <clears throat> Quite stunning. One week ago uh, today, we had a special congregational meeting. And for those of you who were able to be there, I trust that you would agree that it was a wonderful time together. At that meeting, our, meet, our members, <clears throat> excuse me, voted overwhelmingly to call Hannibal Rodriguez as our next senior pastor. <clears throat> Actually, Hannibal will serve as the eighth senior pastor of Wheaton Bible Church. So this culminates a, a long journey, and we would like to extend our appreciation and gratitude to the search committee, to the guiding <clears throat> coalition, and the elders for all of the prayer and the work that they have invested in this process. Hannibal will begin to serve as senior pastor on August 2nd. <clears throat> in the meantime, <clears throat> he'll be working with Pastor Rob and the elders to transition out of his current role of executive pastor of preaching to that of senior pastor. So I just wanna tell you about one thing that happened last week. One, one night last week, all of the elders were sitting around a table with Hannibal. Pastor Rob was there too. And this is what we were discussing with this question. What is the number one thing? What is the pre preeminent issue for Wheaton Bible Church as we move forward? We had a wonderful discussion around that question. And the answer we came to was this one that I think has always been true. And that is that Jesus Christ and his word would be number one in our hearts and in our minds. And that we best express that by being a gospel-centered church. You know, our ministry strategy is actually pretty complex. There's so many things that we hope to do. And yes, we want to be sensitive to the needs of our community that we've been placed in and to help meet those needs. And yes, we want to be a positive agent for all forms of reconciliation, but it is because of the gospel that we do these things. It is because of the gospel that we can do them well, and it is because of the gospel that we will do them more and more. And the reason I bring this up is that I am absolutely convinced that no one believes that more strongly or more completely than Hannibal Rodriguez. So let's dedicate ourselves to supporting Hannibal and Heidi in every possible way, and especially in prayer. Now, we uh, will have Pastor Rob uh, with us through September, and we will celebrate Rob and Rhonda's ministry together uh, here on uh, September 19th. Much of their family will be coming in for that day, and we think it's going to be a very special celebration. Please join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for the many provisions that you have provided to Wheaton Bible Church in the past, in the present, and in the future. Thank you so much, Lord, for the unity that we have been able to experience. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased with us as a church 
as we endeavor to put you first in our hearts and our lives. Please be with Hannibal and Heidi and give them your wisdom and your grace. And bless the word as it's preached this morning. Amen. As the senior pastor search has had unexpected turns and twists along the way, we celebrate God's sovereignty and his plan for Wheaton Bible Church. Dr. Tony Payne wrote some new words to a familiar hymn that so aptly describe our journey and our heart that when I read them, I knew we had to sing them to celebrate this moment together. So we're rejoicing in God's love for his church. Let's stand. Good morning, familia. Um, yeah, you could clap. That's all right. <laughs> Don't worry if I'm going to get used to that, because I'm going to talk about pride today. So that, <laughs> that should fix the problem. 
For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church, and I want to welcome you again, whether you are here. It is seriously so beautiful to be able to see your faces uh, and to recognize some of you for the first time uh, in the last 14 months. And those of you that are worshiping with us online, I also want to welcome you. What a pleasure it is that we get to gather as a family to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, for the last few weeks, we have been doing a series called Loved and Filtered, in which we are looking into this section of the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that is known as the love chapter. So if you have been with us as we, uh, we have been preaching about this uh, chapter, um, you probably already heard that usually when you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we think in terms of, you know, marriage and a wedding and love letters, and things like that, which there's nothing wrong with that. You can use that passage that way, but that was not the primary reason why, that, why Paul wrote that chapter. The tone was not a romantic tone. The tone was not this thing to make people feel butterflies in their stomach or anything like that, to write this beautiful poem. Actually, that was more like a correction. Paul is correcting this church that has all kinds of talents, very successful, gifted church, but they have a hard time learning how to love. Now, I don't think that that's our case. I think that we are a very loving church, but I also think that we are talented and we are successful and we got all kinds of gifts, uh, gifts to be used for the glory of God and the well-being of others, but there's always room for us to grow in what it means to love one another. That's part of the reason why we wanted to go through this series. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read uh, the main section here, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the beginning of verse 8. If you're still here with me, can you please say, I'm here. I'm here. Let's just start in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Can we read that last sentence together? Love never Lord, I pray that today, as we celebrate Pentecost, not only we remember that the Holy Spirit was given to us to live permanently in our hearts as Christians, but that we may remember that we are dependent upon His ministry and His person. That the Holy Spirit may open up our eyes so we could see the things that we need to see. That He may open up our minds so we may believe the things that we need to believe. And that he works in our hearts in such a way that we find Jesus beautiful. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. Today we're going to be focusing on this little sentence. Love does not boast and love is not proud. I'm actually going to put these two words, these two concepts under the category of pride. And I will show you why in a second. And there are three things that I, want, that I want us to know about pride today. The pride 
Is a good desire gone wrong? Is a wrong desire becoming disruptive and a desire in need of a stronger desire? A good desire gone wrong, a wrong desire becoming, becoming disruptive, and a desire in need of a stronger desire. Let's go with the first point. Pride is a good desire gone wrong. Now, the reason why I wanted to start with this is because usually when we think about pride, we don't think of pride of, of something bad that comes from a good place. Actually, I want to make the argument today the part of the reason why we all, can you say all? Part of the reason why we all struggle with pride is because we all by nature want to feel that we are worthy, that we are somebody, and that we have significance. The reason why we all, can you say all? The reason why we all struggle with pride it's because we all want to feel that we're worthy, that we're somebody, and we have significance. Part of the reason why I ask you to do, uh, I ask you to repeat the word all, is because by the end of the sermon, I want you to be convinced that you struggle with pride. The same way I struggle with pride. And the reason why we struggle with pride is because deep down inside, we want to know that we are worthy. Actually, if you remember, Psalm 8 says that every human being, mankind, may, we were made li uh, as little lower than angels because God crowned us with glory and honor. That's a beautiful description of what it means to be a human being. Someone that was crowned with glory and honor. What happened in the historical narrative of the Bible is that even though we were created that way, and God gave us this special place in the created order. And even though because we have been created in the image of God, we have value and dignity and all these things. And even though God made of us God's representatives in this creation, when sin comes into the world, when the fall happened, something in our hearts started to change. Actually, the way we saw ourselves started to change. The way we started to see others started to change. And the way we, we will behave started to change. So instead of living this identity and word that God had already given us, simply because we are created in his image, we started to try to form this identity and worth apart from God, away from our original design. And because of sin in our hearts, then we became these unstoppable, never-ending search people seeking for value, dignity, and worth. Every single one of us. So because this is family, whether you're here or with us worshiping online, can you do me a favor? If you struggle with pride, can you please raise your hand really quick? All right, so there's like three of you that are already graduated from this department. I actually think that the best thing that you could do for your heart and your soul is to recognize how much we struggle with this. It is because of the fall that we seek to establish an identity and value and worth in things or using things, using accomplishments, using money, using power, using looks, using beauty, using family as a way for us to feel better about ourselves. 
It was a good desire that has gone wrong. And that's exactly what pride means. See, when we are using money and power and accomplishments and looks and family or anything to find dignity and value and worth, then we are actually becoming extremely self-centered, extremely self-concerned, extremely self-absorbed, extremely narcissistic, and we have and we practice this thing that some people have called this inordinate self-love. The problem is not that you love yourself. We ought to love ourselves. The problem is that we love ourselves way too much. That's the problem. Interesting that the church at Corinth, that was the struggle they had. Interesting that the word that Paul uses to describe pride in this text, the, the, the original word that Paul uses to describe pride in this text appears seven times in the New Testament. Six of those in this letter. This is a church that had talents and abilities and gifts and were successful, and yet their primary issue was pride. And the problem with pride is not only that it's toxic to you, but it doesn't allow you to love other people well. This is the reason why Paul then uses these two phrases, boast and proud. And my argument is that these two concepts should always go together. Because proud people would always boast, and boastful people would always be proud. Let me say that again. Proud people would always boast, and boastful people would always be proud. Why do I say that? Well, the word boast in the original literally can be translated as bragging or vainglory or praise of oneself. This is the kind of person, the image that Paul is painting here is, this, is someone that would do anything and everything to be noticed or recognized by somebody. This is the interesting thing. I don't think that anybody, I don't think that anybody in this room or, or that is watching online, anybody would say, I like to brag about myself. Nobody would say that. And yet, inside of our hearts, our greatest fear is to go unnoticed. Isn't that true? The greatest fear is that we are ignored. The greatest fear is that nobody takes us into consideration. And what Paul says is that that's boasting. Something inside your heart that wants praise. Now, the interesting thing about the word pride is that we can actually translate it as puff, to be inflated is to elevate yourself. Now here, the image that Paul is painting here is that when someone struggles with pride, you would do anything and everything. I would do anything and everything to elevate myself, or you would do anything to elevate yourself. Why do you think that we boast? To elevate ourselves. This is part of the reason why I gotta put these two things together. One of the scholars puts it beautifully. He says this, pride is thinking much about oneself and much about oneself. <laughs> That's what pride is. That's the reason why we boast. That's the reason why we all struggle with this. Somehow. 
Now, just in case you're thinking that, uh, or you're wondering if that's your case, I, I want to give you four evidences of pride. Um, and I have to be completely honest, when I was going through this, I felt guilty about maybe two of these. And I want you to feel guilty about that too. <laughs> I'm not going to be the only one suffering here this morning. <laughs> there are four things, or four evidences that we struggle with pride. Self-promotion, self-pity, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency. Notice the word self and every single one of them. Self-promotion, self-pity, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency. And I'm actually going to walk you through each one of those really uh, fast, if I can. Let's talk about the pride as self-promotion. This is the reason why we got the word boast. This is the reason why we want to elevate. But I want to use a term that our younger crowd uses to describe what boast looks like. And it's the word to flex. I don't know if you ever heard that word from the younger generation, but my daughters use it all the time. It's when we look for opportunity to flex about our titles, or to flex our accomplishments, or to flex your home, or to flex your family, or to flex your body, or to flex whatever you think is going to get you to uh, is going to get you to people to praise you somehow. It might be subtle things. It might be an Instagram post, a Facebook post. It might be just a Twitter. It might be just something that you say, oh, by the way, did you know this about me? That's flexing. And that's, my, my brothers and sisters, is self-promotion. And that, my brothers and sisters is subtle pride. You know what's interesting? Society tells you that that's exactly what you got to do to move on in life. But not the Bible. Second is pride as self-pity. Now, you, listen, every single one of us would agree that when someone is boasting, yeah, that person is struggling with pride. I want to invite you to consider that self-pity is also a form of pride. And actually, this is not my thought. I'm borrowing this by John Piper, uh, from John Piper in his book, Future Grace. But what he's going to argue is that we would do anything to get attention, even our suffering and our struggles and our pain. If that is true, you've got to ask the question, when you suffer, do you still need people's attention? Maybe, maybe, just maybe. You struggle with pride. Maybe, 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 just maybe. This is what Piper says. Boasting is the response of pride to success. Self-pity is the response of pride to suffering. Boasting says, I deserve admiration because I have achieved, achieved so much. Self-pity says, I deserve admiration because I have sacrificed so much. Boasting is the voice of pride in the heart of the strong. Self-pity is the voice of pride in the heart of the weak. The reason self-pity does not look like pride is that it appears to be needy. But the need arises from a wounded ego, and the desire of the self-pitying is not really for others to see them as helpless, but as heroes. That's an interesting concept. To put it in simple terms, it'll be me saying in the midst of my suffering, oh, look at how well I suffer." Look at my faith 
in the midst of my struggle. Pride. Number three, pride as self-righteousness. And actually, this one is really easy. A person that struggles with pride is someone that is so easy to see the deficiencies of other people and not being able to see your own sinful deficiencies. This is the typical story of the Pharisee telling God in Luke chapter 18, God, I am so thankful that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. See, she could see, he could see what everybody else was doing wrong. He could not see the pride in his heart. I want to invite you to ask the question, is there a certain category of people that makes you feel that you are morally superior to them? I want you to consider if there's a certain category of people that makes you feel that you're morally superior to them. And if that's the case, you have forgotten that we were all dead in our sins, saved by grace alone. Maybe, 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 just maybe, you're struggling with pride as well. And pride as self-sufficiency is because when we are so secure in what we know and what we have accomplished and what we have, that we think that we don't need others. You know what makes it even worse? When we think, deep down inside, whether you admit it or not, that we don't need God. And when we say something like, I can do it myself. You know how I know when I struggle with this? When I don't pray. Actually, in all honesty, this was one of those weeks. Crazy busy week, thinking of the sermon, and I'm thinking toward the end of the week, I have not prayed about this sermon. That's crazy for me to stand here with my skills and my preparation and have not prayed. And in my heart to think, I got this. This is what this scholar says. Pride in the religious sense is an arrogant refusal, refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join the dance of life as a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator, independent, reliant, and one's own resources. Pride is the grand illusion, the fantasy of fantasies, the cosmic put on. Someone has called this spiritual plagiarism. When we think that we can do it without God. I think that this is part of the reason, one of the most famous uh, uh, sections in the Bible that talks about pride is in 1 Peter chapter 5. And because of what I just said, I think is one of the reasons why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, Peter says this, that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
The word opposed there is a strong word. It's not something like, oh, you know, I, I, that bothers me. The word opposed is this strong um, feeling against something. It's to aggressively reject something. And it says that God looks at our pride and feels that. Because we're playing God. We either worship him or worship ourselves. It's either him or it's us. Actually, what Peter is going to say is that pride might be the primary sin the devil uses to take us down. And I would agree. You know how I know that? Verse 8, be alert and sober mind. Same passage. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, that's my favorite, uh, one of my favorite images in the Bible, how the devil works. You know how we picture sometimes the devil to be like, ah, ah, whatever? That's not how the devil works, you know? It, 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 let me paint the picture in your head. This is what he does. And waits. And when pride shows up, he uses what you already have in your heart to take you down. And like, oh, oh, nothing like that. He stops, waits, observes, and then he uses what you already have in your heart. I'm, I'm sure that you're familiar with the seven deadly sins. Historically speaking, people have always said that pride is the sin from which the other six sins flow. They call it the monster sin. And they would say something like this. Envy comes from the pride of self-honor. Anger comes from the pride of self-exaltation and self-righteousness. Lust comes from the pride of self-gratification. Anxiety comes from the pride of self-confidence. Greed comes from the pride of excessive self-love. Self-indulgence comes from the pride of self-satisfaction. Pride is a good desire gone wrong, terribly wrong. And then you got to ask the question, why is it that Paul is spending all this uh, time talking about pride in the context of brotherly love, community. That takes me to my second point. A wrong desire becoming disruptive. That's what pride is. And this is the simple, the simple explanation. It is simply impossible for someone to boast and love at the same time. It is simply impossible for someone to boast and love at the same time. One has to see him, himself or herself as more valuable than anybody else. Love, on the other hand, sees other people as more valuable than him or herself. Let me put it this way, boasting and pride are the opposite of love. Boasting and pride has one person in mind, me, myself, and I. Love, on the other hand, has 
others in mind because love is always others-oriented. This is the reason why Paul says that love does not boast and love is not proud. The opposite of love is pride. The opposite of pride is love. Can you see why Paul is talking about this right here in this context? Because pride by nature is antisocial. There's nothing that destroys community more. Nothing that destroys community more than pride. Isn't that the reason why we have lost some friends? Isn't that the reason why we have a hard time forgiving and allowing forgiveness? Isn't that the reason why sometimes we cannot share lives with other people? Isn't that the reason why churches split? Isn't that the reason why there's no, sometimes there's no reconciliation between family members and siblings? Because pride by nature is antisocial. See, this is a problem with the concept, the secular concept of self-esteem, you know? That's a problem with that. So our culture would say, well, you shouldn't care about what people think of you. You, you just care about what you think of you. you, 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 you the, the problem why you struggle is because you, you have such a low self-esteem. You need high self-esteem. But isn't that concept actually adding to the problem? The problem is not because we, the problem with others is not that we don't love ourselves too much. The problem with our relationships is that we love ourselves too much. How is self-esteem supposed to fix and help anything? Listen to what David Brooks says. For six decades, the worship of self has been the central preoccupation of our culture. Molding the self, investing in the self, expressing the self. Capitalism, the meritocracy, and modern social science have normalized selfishness. They have made it seem that the only human motives that are real are the self-interest ones. When a whole society is built around self-preoccupation, its members become separated from one another, divided and elite. Uh, and divided. Can you see why we struggle as a society? I mean, I, I think I said this before, but this is part of the reason. This is part of the problem. Why um, that, that part of the issue that I have with all these little things that we buy for little kids that make them believe that they're the best thing in the world. I, I've said it 20,000 times and I'm going to say it again because those are still the gifts that we give to other people. They have a baby, and you give them this little T-shirt this big that says, you are awesome. <laughs> you are powerful. Just do it, Nike. <laughs> how, are, how is this kid supposed to think about anybody else when they're the best thing in the world? This is the reason why Paul is talking to these people the way he is. 
Actually, we know that the reason why he's using all these phrases is because those are the things that these people struggle with. So, for example, they struggle with self-promotion. This is uh, Acts chapter 4. They struggle with self-righteousness. This is Acts chap- uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. They struggle with self-sufficiency. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I don't have the time to walk you through all of those, but at the end of the day, the reason why Paul is talking about pride with these people is because they struggle with that and their community was being destroyed. Pride is antisocial. It's the opposite of loving. Question. How do we kill our pride then? It's not how we tolerate our pride, but how do we kill it? Point number three. Pride is a good desire gone wrong. It's a wrong desire that became disruptive. But it's a desire that needs a stronger desire in order to be destroyed. And this is where Paul is really going to help us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, same book. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any other human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Notice what Paul is saying. I don't care what people think of me. I don't even think, I don't even care what I think of me. Did you catch that? I don't care what people think of me. I don't even care what I think of me. The only thing that matters is that I have been judged by God in Jesus Christ. That's what the word judges, judges there means at, uh, at, the, at the end of the uh, text. Actually, that is the word that he uses in the book of Romans to describe or talk, uh, to talk about justification. What Paul is saying here is that what gives us freedom to not care so much about what people think and to not care so much about what I think is when I know that I have been justified in Jesus Christ. That before God's court, I have already been accepted. I already, I am, I'm already a beloved child of God. God is already pleased with me. I have been already loved. There's nothing I could gain from anybody, and there's nothing I can lose because of anybody, because in Jesus Christ, I have been loved, accepted, redeemed, justified. That is the freedom that gives you the power to kill your pride. You don't need people's approval. And you don't need to approve yourself. You have been approved already. See, the justified Christian doesn't need to boast about anything. And if we're going to boast, let's boast about Jesus Christ. See, the Christian can actually love other people. Because we don't need anything from anybody. We can just give it all. This is part of the reason why John was saying that as a church, we will continue to be a gospel-centered church. Because the only way we can deal with everything in our hearts is because of the gospel. We have been justified. Go ahead and love other people. There's nothing for you to gain. 
You gain it all in Jesus Christ. There's nothing for you to lose. Everything is secure in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Wonderful Savior, it is a reality, Lord, that we all struggle with pride to some degree. It is, Lord, a reality that many of us maybe here this morning struggle with self-promotion or self-pity. It is a reality, Lord, that, was, that many of us here um, are self-righteous. It is a reality that sometimes, Lord, in our hearts, we want, we want to be independent. And we ask for forgiveness. And we ask for forgiveness, Lord, not only because this is the, what the Bible calls us to do, but we ask for forgiveness because this will be the only way that we learn how to love one another well. It's when pride stops becoming an issue. I know, Lord, that we, as long as we are on this side of eternity, we're always going to struggle with that. But it is possible, Lord, to kill it every time he shows up. Not only because we have the presence of the Spirit, but because we have the power of the gospel. We have been justified. Help us live our justification. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say? Let's stand.
Hi, before finishing our service today, three things that I have for you. One, I want to remind you that as a staff, we love to pray for you. Every Tuesday, we pray for you. So if you have prayer requests, please let us know. We would love to pray for you. Number two, I want to invite you, uh, invite you back tonight. There's nothing we can do for our souls, nothing better we can do for our souls than to praise our God. Did you, do you know why? Because we're convincing ourselves that in the God that we believe is there and is true. So please come back. We're going to have an amazing time tonight as we worship together at 6. And lastly, it's just an update on our COVID-19 situation. So before I say what I'm about to say, let me remind you that as a church, we have been praying about this forever. We take the changes that we make in the church, we take the time to pray, consider, read, learn, do anything and everything that we have to do. And after doing all of that, we are convinced that this is a season in which we need to expand a little bit more. So that just to let you know that from now on, uh, it's actually starting on May 30th, uh, we're going to have our building and our services be uh, mask optional. We are going to keep a couple of sections here in the sanctuary that are for those of you that want to keep uh, and use and need to use your mask. Um, but for the most part, we're going to try to keep everything else mask optional. We're still going to keep some social distance. We're going to open more seats and rows uh, for more people to be able to come back. Our kids are still going to have to register for Sunday school classes. So if you have kids, please register them. Um, and let's trust the Lord and to see, let's see what he does. Amen. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, thanks for coming. We love you. Have a blessed day. Church, you are sent.